Welcome to the Investor Download, the podcast about the themes driving markets and the economy now and in the future. And your host today is my colleague, Vicky Owen. There's no shortage of news reports and warnings about the impacts of climate change. We need cooperation, yet we face fragmentation. And I'm not here to sugarcoat the scale of that challenge or the sorry state of our world. Many news sites have sections dedicated to this topic alone, and companies do too. We can't confront problems unless we look them squarely in the eye. And we are looking into the eye of a Category 5 hurricane. The flow of information quickly gets overwhelming. Our world is plagued by a perfect storm on a number of fronts. And to all that, another major and indeed existential challenge. We are flirting with climate disaster. With so much climate noise, how can so much still be unclear? Today, we're going to bring this topic back to basics before touching on some unintended consequences and more nuanced debates that are coming up for our specialists. With me today is Carol Storey. I'm Carol Storey. I'm the Climate Engagement Lead and I work with investors and other sustainability experts around the firm to help companies transition to net zero. And Jonathan Fletcher. Hi, I'm Jonathan Fletcher and I'm a portfolio manager on the Emerging Markets team. What do we mean when we talk about net zero? Is there such a thing as an acceptable level of emissions? Can sectors like mining even deliver on net zero at all? Lots to discuss. In the first part of the show, we're going to talk net zero, why it's important, and the plans companies are making to get there. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, you're listening to the Investor Download. I thought we'd just start with quite a basic question, but what is a net zero plan, Carol? I'm sure you've seen quite a lot of these. So, um, perfect person to explain to us what these are and what, what you might be looking for in one. A net zero or transition plan is a plan that outlines how a company is intending to reduce its emissions and meet the climate targets that it's set. It's really a blueprint for how they intend to meet the challenges faced by their business because of climate change. They've only really been around for two or so years and we're actually seeing more and more of these plans as companies make net zero commitments. When we look at transition plans, we're actually trying to get a grasp on the who, the what, the where, the when, the how and the why. And we're using this information really to help us identify companies that are well placed to outperform in a net zero world and those that may struggle. Now, there are a number of really detailed guides out there in the public domain including one that is out for consultation by the Transition Plan Task Force, which was formed by the UK government last year. But to boil it down, a credible transition plan will help us understand the company's ambition. And what I mean by that is the speed and the scale of emission reduction targets and other climate goals. It will set out the government's and decision-making processes in place to support those climate goals. It will also, and crucially, outline steps being taken to meet climate goals and why this course of action is being taken. It should also cover the expected impact of the company's climate strategy. And I mean the impact on the planet, on people and also on its financials. And of course, an update of emission reduction so far. Why should investors care about climate transition plans? Well, put simply, how a company responds to the challenges of climate change could actually be key to its 
bottom line. And that's really why it matters to us. Traditional business models are being disrupted by regulation, by pressures from customers and clients and by new lower carbon technologies. So as well as reducing emissions, a smart climate strategy could mean more resilient businesses, new areas of growth, hopefully bigger profits, and actually a poor plan, one that is not well thought out, could bring future problems and poorer returns. And climate change itself is really not a force to be reckoned with. If it's not curbed, everything becomes more risky, including investment activities. Great. That's really helpful to understand because it's not, it's not just about um, trying to sort of save the planet. It's very much a core investment topic for you. Absolutely. Um, and we're sort of three years into the UN's decade of action and eight years on from the Paris Agreement being adopted. Obviously, questions are being asked about whether companies are acting fast enough on climate change. How could companies move faster? Could they move faster? Well, it's actually really mixed. If I look at our own data on company targets, just under a third of the companies we hold have a two degree or below emissions reduction target. Now, that might be a short-term target, a medium-term target, or a long-term target. And it might not cover all scopes that are necessary. But actually, there are around 60% that have still set nothing at all. And that's quite concerning. So to your question, could companies be moving faster? Well, some companies could be moving faster. And I think this really starts with strong climate leadership at the top of any business, plus a really good understanding of climate change or how the transition itself towards net zero could impact their company. What sort of risks might companies face? Obviously, if they don't act fast enough, what could the consequences be? What message are you trying to get across to companies there in your conversations or what are they asking you? Well, in some cases, they're, they may not be competitive at all. So if they're competitors have lower emissions and their clients are demanding low emission products, they are not well placed in that market anymore. In, in some cases, it, it could be a step change because of regulation. So actually, they're not able to compete, um, keep up with the rules of business within the economies in which they operate. How have you engaged with management teams in the past year? Okay, in 2022, we kicked off the largest engagement program we have undertaken as a firm. We engaged over 700 companies on climate issues. And actually, we expect to grow this and continue that dialogue into 2023 and beyond. And it wasn't just the sustainable investment team in a corner engaging these companies. It's a firm-wide engagement program, which involved over 170 of our analysts and PMs. So people actually managing money and making investment decisions. And would you say it's more encouraging companies? Is it more carrot or more stick? Is it, are you, is it kind of threat or coaching them along? I like to think our approach is mainly carrot. We really do want to support companies and we are very aware of some of the challenges that they face. But there is some stick. For example, last year we voted against individual directors at a number of companies because we felt they were not doing enough to address the climate related risks faced by their businesses. Can you tell us a bit about how it works in practice? When we're engaging with companies, we're actually doing three things. Firstly, we're trying to learn as much as possible about 
the company's climate strategy and their views on the challenges and opportunities that they face because of climate change. Actually listening to companies and what they have to say, for me, is the most important part of any engagement. Secondly, we're scrutinising their climate transition plans or their net zero plans and highlighting areas where there may be gaps or opportunities to develop their, um, their approach and adopt good practice. And finally, related to that, we're communicating what we'd like the company to be working towards in the short term, whether that is more disclosure, a more ambitious target or a more realistic assumption or assumptions behind its plans. Thanks, Carol. Lots to think about there. In the next part of the show, we'll be putting this activity into the context of today's complex and changing world. We'll talk about climate engagement in 2023 and some current trends. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts, you're listening to the Investor Download. So, part two. Let's talk about some of those pressing issues and what our experts are focused on in 2023. Jonathan, we'll talk more about this later, but what are some of the global events to keep in mind here, rather than thinking simply about reduction of emissions? I mean, the recent pandemic and the recent war in Ukraine um, have had huge social costs for them. Um, and part of that effect has been borne through in terms of inflation of basic necessities, which has disproportionately affected those on, on lower incomes um, and increased inequality. Um, the transition to a net zero world remains a key priority, um, but these events really led to an increased appreciation that that's not the only issue and the social impacts are an important area to consider as we make that transition to a net zero world. That's a really good point, actually. It's not just about reducing emissions, is it? We're both interested very much in the social side of this picture as well. I think what the supply shock following the invasion of Ukraine did was highlight just how much we still rely on fossil fuels in our economies and the need to accelerate away from them where this is possible. Mm. And the pandemic itself was interesting because we saw a drop in emissions and also in economic activity. And this highlights that while the relationship between greenhouse gas emissions and economic growth may have loosened, high emissions are still very much a result of what we understand as a healthy economy. What else has changed in terms of your engagements leading into 2023? Into 2023, firstly, I think there'll be a lot more focus on the ability and the probability of a company reaching the targets that it has set. So there's this tension between ambition, between setting ambitious targets and actually the reality of meeting them. So just because yeah. you've set a car target as a company doesn't always mean that you're in a position to, to meet it. And I think we need to really focus our scrutiny on what companies may fail. The other really important theme that came out of 2022 and, and that we need to focus on in 2023 is a the theme around idiosyncrasies. So actually some companies are finding it harder to to transition. And it's not because they are not committed, that they don't have ambition, but they are simply placed in different political and geographical situations. So if you have a high emitting asset in, in an area of the world that does not have easy access to renewables, it's going to be much harder to decarbonize that asset. And actually our role as investors is to support that company to, to help it do everything it can to decarbonize that asset rather than simply ask it to divest, which has no real world impact. 
yeah, obviously your engagements must vary wildly depending on the sector and the type of company that you're dealing with. I also wondered how do you weigh up the impacts on different stakeholders? It's obviously not as simple as just focusing on emissions as we touched on earlier, um, particularly today, but what about prices, employees, shareholders, local communities, nature? feels like the list is endless in terms of stakeholders. How do you weigh all of that up? You're absolutely right that climate change is not just about emission reductions, but I think it's a false dichotomy to frame the issue as climate versus people or climate versus shareholders. Climate change is important because it impacts prices, employees, shareholders, local communities and nature. For me, we really should be reframing reframing climate as a socio-environmental issue rather than just an environmental one with greater emphasis on on developing a sustainable, stable, affordable and secure energy system and also on the just transition. And as for nature itself, nature and climate are essentially two different ways of looking at the same problem. Sustainable land use and forestry are key to limiting climate change. And the just transition is a term that we're hearing talked about more What does that mean to you? How might you engage on that? Well, there are a few different ways of thinking about the just transition, but it's essentially a transition to net zero that treats people fairly. It means supporting people and communities working in polluting industries whose jobs and local economies are being disrupted by the shift to a more sustainable global economy. It means considering the human rights of people who are mining metals and minerals that are important for low carbon technologies or whose land is being acquired to meet demand for carbon offsets. And it also means making sure the unmet energy needs of the world's poorest populations are not forgotten and that energy remains affordable for people. And of course, the just transition overlaps with these wider concepts of climate justice, which highlights that people who are being most negatively impacted by climate change actually live in countries that did very little to contribute to it. How might you engage on the Just Transition then? In terms of our engagements on the Just Transition, there are three key priorities this year. There isn't much disclosure at the moment from companies about this issue. So actually our first priority is to understand how companies are thinking about the Just Transition and how they're acting on it. We also need to encourage more companies to report on just transition issues in their net zero plans. And finally, we want to share good practice with companies, whether that's from our own research and discussions with companies, but also from organisations that have been looking at this in a lot of detail, like the World Benchmarking Alliance and the London School of Economics. Is it coming up in your conversations at all, Jonathan? Yeah, we're certainly beginning to see it um, come up and particularly given um, many people in emerging markets are, are negatively yeah. affected um, by it. So it is an important topic um, as we think about inequalities um, on a global scale. Not every company is able to achieve what sustainable investors might perceive as a just transition, certainly straight away. Carol, what areas of the market are there that you see where the transition from dirtier to cleaner production processes is more opaque? The metals and mining industry is one that springs to mind. If you think about a company that is involved in making aluminium, well, actually, it's involved in a really high energy intensive process. It uses an awful lot of energy, but there are opportunities to decarbonize and electrify some of those processes. But actually, if your asset is based in a country 
maybe South Africa, maybe somewhere else, which doesn't yet have much renewable energy on its grid or where perhaps that asset is quite remote and opportunities for electrification aren't available, you have fewer opportunities to decarbonize. However, aluminum itself is a really, really important metal. It's highly recyclable. It's essential for uh, if, if we want to have a circular economy. Now, if we were simply to engage that company asking it to wind down its operations or sell its operations, A, we've, we've probably lost something that is quite valuable in the world that, that has, it, has a place. And B, there will be an awful lot of negative impacts on the local community and on jobs. The best thing we can do is really try to support that company. One of the things it might be is for the company to actually work with partners, including the government, to include greater number, um, greater access to renewables on the grid. Interesting. Thank you both for these insights from your engagements. Coming up in part three, we'll be going into more detail on the challenges of the transition to net zero, but with a particular focus on emerging markets, Jonathan's area of expertise. Get in touch with us by email at shorterspodcasts at shorters.com or visit our website, shorters.com forward slash investor download. Obviously, many emerging markets are already facing the impacts of climate change from extreme heat to droughts and water scarcity, and they're at risk of suffering disproportionately from the effects, as Carol said earlier. What are the biggest climate-related issues and opportunities you're seeing as an emerging markets investor, Jonathan? Yeah, so undoubtedly, there's there's huge challenges faced in emerging markets. For example, out of the top 10 cities most vulnerable to climate change, nine out of 10 of those um, are in emerging markets. Um, but there's also opportunities. Um, we see a number of um, leading companies um, that are emerging market companies. For example, if we think about solutions to address climate change, whether that's solar panels and a shift to renewable energy mm. um, or a shift to electric vehicles. Actually, many of the leading companies globally are within emerging markets. Um, and also, we see um, consumers changing quickly. Um, already in China last year, we saw five times the number of electric vehicle sales um, compared to the US. So that shift is quickly occurring um, in many emerging markets. And the other major opportunity we have as investors is through the engagement we're having with companies. Um, companies in emerging markets are often at a relatively early stage um, in having net zero plans in place or even in terms of measuring um, the emissions they have. Um, and the opportunity is there for us to have an impact as investors um, as we encourage them um, to put those plans in place, um, to think about those targets for scope one, two and three emissions um, and to have that transition plan in place. Interesting. So are they quite receptive generally to to your conversations and sort of probing for information? Yeah, so it's really interesting. We, we certainly have a, a number of companies uh, responding positively and putting net zero plans in place as we've engaged them over the last year. And um, we've even had some companies come to us um, to ask us what best practice looks like in the dairy industry, for example. And we were able to share um, best practice from other companies um, that they've then implemented and put in place for their net zero plan. And what, I mean, how does it work in practice? What would prompt an engagement and how do you kind of monitor developments? Yeah, so over the last year, we've had a real programme across Schroders um, looking at um, 
you know, a number of companies within emerging markets that, that we own with those kind of four key asks of the companies. Um, having a net zero um, target in place, long, medium and short term targets um, for their for their emissions, that detailed transition plan um, and to be publishing um, how they're doing um, and performing on that and that progress annually. Um, so through our conversations with companies, through formal kind of requests to them, we've been seeing um, that engagement happening um, over the last year. You mentioned um, dairy earlier. Are there any other examples of sectors where you've been engaging in particular on climate change or sort of what types of companies? Yeah, we've been looking across all sorts of different um, sectors. Um, I think I would just point to one example um, where we've been engaging with a company in an e-commerce um, industry. And actually, um, you know, when we first spoke to them, they didn't have a net zero um, target in place, um, but we were followed up with them six months later. Um, and they actually mentioned that it had been a game changer for them in terms of putting a net zero plan in place from the conversations they'd had with us and also with other investors um, to make that transition to, to net zero and have those targets in place. How would you escalate engagements and at what point would you? Yeah, I think if, if we see limited progress um, over time um, on a kind of three to five year view, um, we would look to, to escalate in terms of, um, you know, formally voting against um, mm. the, the company. But for the, for the moment, it's really that focus on continually kind of checking in with the companies on every six or 12 months to see their progress they're making um, and see those plans being put in place, but also progress in terms of the emissions um, coming down over time. So there are several ways we can escalate or accelerate engagements that perhaps aren't being effective as we would like them to be. One is actually to increase the intensity of our engagement activity. So that might mean more meetings or meetings with more senior mm. people uh, at the organisation. Another way which we, we use quite effectively for a few companies is to collaborate with other investors. Actually, Sometimes we have quite a lot of a company, but when we don't, it can be very useful to to get other asset managers or asset owners in the same room or the same call and speak to the company about our concerns. We, of course, vote against directors where necessary. We support shareholder resolutions. We can choose not to support a company, say, on climate plan. And of course, investors themselves take all of this information in terms of how they are valuing companies and whether they choose to invest or not, or increase their exposure or not to those companies. And you mentioned, say, on climate votes. What are those you involved and are you involved in many of those? A say on climate vote is simply a vote on a company's net zero plan or transition plan or climate targets that has been put forward by management themselves. You may have heard of shareholder resolutions. These come from shareholders, but say on climate votes actually come from management themselves. And are you involved in voting at all, Jonathan? Would you be involved in things like say on climate votes? Yeah, so within emerging markets, um, certainly we've had much more limited number of say on climate um, votes. Um, we're absolutely involved in, in voting various different areas, but um, given how early stage many of the companies are, um, we've not yet reached um, that point, um, but we do expect to do so. What's the biggest challenge for you? Are there any tricky questions niggling at you or areas where there's more research needed for you to 
make a, a, an informed decision. Yeah, I think some of the, the biggest challenges are where it's very difficult for um, companies through where they're operating. So I think about a um, South African retailer that relies very much on the grid and power generation in South Africa that is um, very much based on, on coal-based power. Um, and the difficulty they have in being able to transition to net zero, they have huge ambition mm. there, but there is real challenge in terms of how they might do that. What do you think is the solution is in those situations where there's not a clear consensus on the best, what the best approach is? What do you do there? I think it's just continuing those conversations with with companies, escalating it over time Mm. um, and just continuing that pressure and conversations we have um, with the companies. Well, that was the show. We very much hope you enjoyed it. If you want to find out more, check out our website, schroders.com forward slash the investor download. You can also get in contact with us about anything in the show or ideas for future shows at Schroders Podcast at schroders.com. Please remember to subscribe to us at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a review. We're now doing one show a week, which will be available every Thursday from 5pm UK time. Thanks very much for listening, but above all, keep safe and go well. Cheers. The value of investments and the income from them may go down as well as up, and investors may not get back the amounts originally invested. Past performance is not a guide to future performance. The information is not an offer, solicitation, or recommendation of any funds, services, or products, or to adopt any investment strategy. 